Our customers have always been at the centre of our business, but what they need today is, is not what we were delivering yesterday. And society expectations are changing, climate variability is testing the resilience of our cities. The digital era is transforming those traditional workflows and changing what we thought we knew. I mentioned it's helping us to create new insights on old problems, and it's helping us understand the complexity of new ones. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. You just heard Michelle Watson, Global Director for Geospatial Solutions at Jacobs, a $14 billion full-spectrum professional services company, explain how a deeper understanding of people and places gained through advanced technologies is helping us to better address complex and systemic threats like climate change. Esri CMO Mariana Cantor investigates how cities and businesses are leveraging geospatial thinking and location intelligence to create smarter and more resilient infrastructure tailored to the needs of communities. Hi, Michelle, and welcome to the Esri and the Science Aware podcast. Thanks, Mariana. It's really great to be here. Well, you have a lot of experience working with massive industrial infrastructures like mines, ports, water, and telecommunications. We all know that infrastructure is aged and aging. Its management is getting more and more challenging and complex. New technologies and materials are pushing the realm of what's possible. So how would you characterize the state and the trajectory of our infrastructure, broadly speaking? I think you've touched on key words in terms of the structure. I think not only are they aging, but there's increasing demand on those assets. There's greater level of expectation from the community regarding maintaining levels of service, but also driving down the cost of, of living, which can be sort of a conflicting element. Climate variability has really changed the dynamics, forcing people to be much more proactive than reactive because that's an expensive approach if you're constantly reacting. And I think, you know, there's more regulation than there's ever been before and transparency has, has changed the game completely. So you'll, you'll hear me probably talk a lot today around the customer's customer because that's sort of been the shift in, in the focus in the last couple of years. What are some of the principles and tools for managing the phenomenon of Beijing infrastructure and essentially advancing these industrial enterprises. What's changed is once upon a time we would tackle individual projects or problems and now there's sort of this recognition that everything's connected and and therefore you need to take a much more holistic approach. So for me that's where the power of location really comes to the fore and that ability to help connect the entire life cycle and for people to gain a more holistic understanding of their assets, where they're sitting in the world, what's actually impacting how they operate, but also just whether or not those assets are even the right assets, are they in the right locations? Um, you know, our clients are having to, to deal with all of these sorts of challenges. And for me, geospatial is fundamental to that. Generally speaking, transformations don't necessarily start with technology, although technology is obviously often the means of that transformation. So real change starts with thought and a vision. I've heard you coin a phrase, the art of the possible. Is this what you mean by the art of the possible, sort of the, the thought and the vision of your transformation? When I use that phrase, I'm really seeking to inspire people to look beyond what we're doing today and really consider all the possibilities and be open to the idea that there might be another way. Because I think we're in a world now where we have this ability to consume so much information. It's really 
helping us to reframe and see the world much differently to the way we thought before when we were a lot more siloed uh, in the way we approached our, our problems. So I'm a true believer that geospatial is an enabler of the art of the possible. So how's geospatial thinking uh, fuel that notion of the art of the possible? It's just like exploring. We're out there and we're exploring the world and people think there's nothing left to explore. Well, there's so much more to discover. We're really just scratching the surface. And that ability to, to sort of see things differently and, and potentially see something that no one else has seen before because no one's thought to put that combination of data together at that location. The buzz you get from that and thinking we could completely change, you know, the way we address this problem now because we've seen it, you know, in a, in a different way the power of being able to bring all of that information together and, as I say, scenario plan it every which way to really deeply understand those, those connections is exciting. What are some of the projects that benefited from this type of a geospatial approach? A, a real current one at the moment that you will have heard us talking about is Mer the Meridian Water Project in the UK. So for Meridian Water, the challenge there is they're taking what is currently an industrial area um, and transitioning it into a, a residential area. And again, you, you could do that very simplistically um, or you, you could really take that opportunity as this client has done to, to reframe and, and tackle those challenges like livability, resilience uh, and sustainability. So this is a $6 billion project working with the Enfield Council who have been really fantastic in embracing the concept of geodesign and, and the use of geospatial to really facilitate collaboration and again having to bring all of those different uh, sources of information but but also recast them in new ways. So we're moving away from just going, well, here's my vegetation layer and here's my roads in, you know, roads layer. And we're now really contextualizing them for people to say, well, this is how we're going to influence livability. And, and here are the metrics that we use. Being able to show people what it means for them as individuals, as well as a community, that particular project has really helped us pressure test different scenarios and be able to communicate that. We did a project for um, Shell transitioning a very paper-based planning process. And by the end of that, they'd created up to 75% efficiencies in some of their workflows. They had a consistent approach to their network planning. The collaboration between their network planners had just completely changed and they were actually able to really leverage the, the big data that they'd been sort of sitting on and, and not really known how to enable the pace of projects is, is getting faster and, and faster, but there's also a lot more automation in those workflows as well. So we're creating greater levels of efficiency. Uh, and we're talking not insignificant, we're talking you know millions of dollars in some cases in savings. It strikes me that the traditional use of technologies has been to drive efficiencies. And that certainly ha is happening in the examples that you're talking about, but also you're raising more ambitious value propositions around livability, around, you know, smarter use of data, around automation, probably prediction and so on. So it's sort of an interesting observation that we're going well beyond efficiency. Definitely. And I think that the language is starting to change. So, you know, the traditional sort of value propositions of, of why to invest in digital processes, to your point, has been it's always the classic time, risk and money. But that dynamic is shifting because we are now talking about this need to really understand much more 
of the complexities associated with projects and to be able to think about the, the why much more rather than the what. I'm currently supporting a client, a water utilities client, and you could say, well, we're helping to deliver their capital program. But it's really helped me step back and go, actually, the reason I need to do my job well is because I need to help this client reduce the cost of the services so that the affordability piece is improved because it's going to, yes, it's a one part of a much bigger puzzle, but that's something within my control right now is to really try and get the best outcomes for my client, which will then feed through communities. There's just so many examples of that in our business. When you take a step back and and stop looking at the infrastructure and, you know, the what it is you're doing and, and start thinking, well, why are we doing this? Whether it is health services, whether it's helping to stand up pop-up hospitals, whether it's to create buildings that are much more flexible in design so that they can change at a moment's notice so that we can respond more quickly to emergency situations. It inspires people to really then push the boundaries of what you do every day when you come to work. It would be very easy to come in and follow the recipe for engineering to say that this is how you build a bridge or this is how you build a road. And now we're sort of stepping back and thinking, well, we're here to enable a community. How can we better support that? When we're looking at water treatment solutions or waste treatment solutions, whether it's trying to get power or telecommunications into rural areas or the internet, you know, you're changing, you have the ability to influence the outcomes of people's lives. You manage a very large team of data analysts and GIS professionals, geographic information systems professionals. But before we started recording, you mentioned that you're not a technical person. So how did you become interested in spatial thinking and this geospatial technology? So I I first was introduced to GIS at university and at that point, I was just hooked. Just <laughs> It was just one of those moments. It just really profoundly hit me being an, a, an environmental scientist where we have to look at the different combinations of, you know, how the environment sort of ties together and to then have this platform sitting in front of me that showed me how you can bring all of those things together. You know, it just, it just made sense to me. And while I'd not claim to be a, an extrovert myself, when it comes to geospatial, I am hugely passionate about its role in supporting our clients and our projects, and particularly in this current day, because I, I, I genuinely hand on heart believe that it's the only way for our clients to really understand the world that we live in and all of those interconnected aspects and, and dependencies. Well, let's talk about Jacobs a little bit. It's a massive architecture, engineering, construction firm, and you operate across 400 offices worldwide. And as I understand, over the past few years, Jacobs has embarked on a journey to redefine sort of its role, and you've alluded to it with your customer. And your CEO talks about Jacobs as a company that exists like no other. So what is the thinking behind this? It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What I like about it is that it actually empowers our people to create their own meaning and to really push the boundaries themselves. In 2019, we launched our new brand, Challenging Today, Reinventing Tomorrow. And I mean, our customers have always been at the centre of our business, but what they need today is, is not what we were delivering yesterday. And I mentioned society expectations are changing, climate variability is testing the resilience of our cities. The digital era is is transforming those traditional workflows. Technologies like GIS are changing what we thought we knew. It's helping us to create new insights on on old problems. 
and it's helping us understand the complexity of new ones. Digital technologies are giving us an opportunity to collaborate more than ever and at much deeper levels, much more meaningful levels and supporting us to change this focus from the what. So we used to say, well, what the problem is, is we've, we've got a transport problem. Well, now we say, well, why have we got a transport problem? So it's kind of reframing that. And we're very fortunate and we've, we've got a traditional AEC heritage and we'll continue to work in that area. But we've also got very deep domain expertise across disciplines, across markets, across life cycles. And, and when you combine that with this, uh, you know, all the emerging technologies that are out there, it's really helping to recreate that art of the possible. We're not now in a position where we can take all of that intelligence and, and provide greater insights and, and uh, translate that into actionable intelligence. One of your colleagues at Jacobs, Chrissy Tom, noted that the challenges your clients are facing interconnect, and you said that too, more so than ever before. And I found that really intriguing and potentially really important to understand. So can you unpack that for us and explain why is it more interconnected and how are you addressing these problems that are more interconnected effectively? So I'm not sure that they're becoming more interconnected because I think they actually always were. I just think as a society, we sort of chose to ignore it. And, and, and that might have been simply because the challenges within those market sectors and, and disciplines were big enough in their own right. And we really didn't have that ability to, to you know, to go further. I can't tell you how many times in the past I was told not to boil the ocean, you know, things are getting too big, bring, bring, bring it back. But ignoring them is no longer an option. And, you know, the limitations that we've had on our ability to explore and understand those relationships is now more of a behavioural thing than it is a technology thing because we have the ability to do that. So as an environmental scientist by background, it's just always amazed me that it's taken us this long <laughs> to realise that we live in an ecosystem, whether it's natural or, or human-made, everything is connected. We shouldn't be surprised that, you know, and, and particularly in this day and age with this transparency is increased that, People are now understanding those relationships as well. So they, in, if something alters in their day-to-day -day, uh, worlds, they, they know to go looking and, they, and, they, and they've got the information to do that now. So understanding interconnectivity is, is a fundamental now. And I think it's just more that we've pushed ourselves to a point where we can't ignore it anymore. So what's at stake for your clients and businesses in general? I think that what's at stake for our clients' businesses is just, you just can't afford not to. You can't afford to spend time, money and effort on traditional ways of, of thinking because it'll just end up creating an, a new problem somewhere else in that, that life cycle chain. We're being forced to really address that complexity now and I think there isn't really an alternative to, to stick to the way things have always been done because it's not going to lead to an ability to address those problems in a way that's going to be acceptable by communities it's actually going to be financially efficient because I mean a lot of this is driven by the fact that you need to make smart investment decisions you can't afford to waste money on on bad investments and you know rebuilding the same piece of infrastructure because it gets taken out by you know storm surges every other year doesn't make sense you, you've got to be more proactive and people are expecting that now as we touched upon Michelle climate change is such a reality for your clients and the rest of us. Do you have some examples of how geospatial thinking and technology 
is helping your clients address those issues? Yes, we've recently, or I'm continuing to work on a project for the for US Defence at um, the, the Tyndall base, which was heavily impacted by a hurricane, pretty much levelled the, the base from it, as I understand it. And the client really took a step back and went, well, we can just replace what we had before, or we can recognise that perhaps things are, the world around us is is changing and, and uh, you know, really empowered the team. They brought in lots of flood and storm modelling scenarios and, and really started to realise that the old design standards that they were using actually really weren't appropriate anymore because what the, the data was telling them was they were going to see um, more of these kinds of events and they were going to be more extreme. And so they were able to really map out, well, what do we need to do to change that? And I think what I loved about that project was the fact that the decline again also embraced, you could just go in and put a bunch of, you know, built infrastructure around and think, well, we'll just sort of defend our, our borders, so to speak. But instead went, is there some natural approaches that we can do to help, you know, reinforce the environment around us to give us more protection as well as relocate and put in some of those more built structures to to support and create that base resilience it is a very visual thing if you're trying to get people to invest and understand that what the significance of this impact is geospatial just provides that really you know it's in your face you can't avoid it it's almost you can't look away from it and you can run the different metrics so you can understand the impacts on not just the fact that the facilities have been damaged but what is the impact on people who work in those areas who live in those areas you mentioned information which probably requires data to start with and I would say that data is the currency of insight or analytics in general. What is your strategy around data management? What are some important success factors to keep in mind? So how do you guys do it? Yeah, so there is more data than ever before, and and that's definitely a a blessing and and a curse. I often say to clients, just park the data for a second and actually step back and work out what it is you're trying to solve. What's, What's the problem here? And then we'll reverse engineer from there. The blessing is that we can now do more planning and scenario testing upfront to really de-risk and and optimise client outcomes. We can help people track and and monitor trends and progress better than ever before. But the flip side to that is that not all data is created equally. And and it's a concept that people don't necessarily appreciate and understand. Quality data, I think, is something that I think in the not too distant future, if, if people aren't starting to scratch their heads, uh, it's going to really hit home because you just because you can put something into a machine and get an answer out doesn't mean you should be making investment decisions on it. You, it's really about being able to, to understand, is this data fit for purpose? And that takes some professionals, I think. So it's important to understand that there is a role for professional geospatial practitioners. I really need to have somebody support and help me understand whether this is the right thing to do. I think we've shifted from looking at legacy data to to very much real-time data, which has completely changed the game on a lot of fronts. And it's opened up new opportunities to, to really leverage location in terms of trying to make sense of volumes of data. I think if there's lessons learned in there, it's trying to educate the business on what the concept of structured data is. Uh, if you want to move quickly, it's much easier to move quickly if somebody's thought about the data structure and not just dumped a whole bunch of, of information on your desk. I think understanding that data is more than one purpose in a life cycle. Again, I think people often procure for 
one purpose, not understanding that it's going to be used by half a dozen other people for, for different things. And I think also just the shift that, you know, once upon a time, it was all about static copying and pasting of information from one into another. And now it's very much around pulling information from its source and being able to, you know, again, it's more about managing live information and maintaining the integrity, I guess, of that information so it doesn't go out of date, you know, the minute you, you press print on something. I once had a client who said it was really frustrating. So, you know, you can still see the Magna Carta today. And I thought, yeah, but that's because somebody, there's a whole team of people that make sure it's in a perfectly air-conditioned box and there's an investment gone in to maintain that piece of paper. It's the same thing with digital data. You've got to maintain it. You can't just capture it once and think she'll be she'll be right. We'll we'll be able to use that again later. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You gotta keep gotta keep updating it. You clearly have a very sophisticated operation and very mature one. For those who don't, which is probably still the majority of decision makers and leaders out there, what would you tell them? How why is it important where to start? When when I talk to clients about um, what the value of geospatial is, I actually start by getting them to define what is it that's the challenges that they're trying to solve because it becomes uh, a bit more self-evident when you unpack what is it that you're trying to achieve, what are those problems that you're trying to tackle and then I take them through a process of, well, let's look at your current uh, ecosystem of where your information is, is coming from and you start to see, well, there's a bit coming from um, understanding my assets and my asset management system. There's a bit coming from my client system in terms of where they are and do we have complaints? Where's demand coming from? So you start to pull a picture together. And then when you sort of say, well, hey, how, how could we bring all of that together? There's really only one place that does that, that takes all of that information in. And when you can show some examples of, of what geospatial, how it can actually visually represent and integrate all of that information, there's this you know, again, it's in a half moment. It's like, finally, here's something that's going to help me get there. So I think once you've taken people through that process, the ability then to step back and write those strategic plans and understand where geospatial fits in terms of the broader organisation, because I think a lot of organisations are trying to tackle information management, worst case at a project level, but then at a departmental level. And, and the reality is it has to be at an organisational level. You, it's you're making it very hard for yourself if you're trying to tackle it department by department because you, you don't have that visibility of how information is going to flow through your organisation. So the way you collect information, the way you manage information at one life cycle phase, if you're not cognizant of the next step afterwards, you may put them in a position where they've got to start all over again. And so, again, we can't afford to be wasting time and money, not that we ever could, but more than ever. And so I think that need to really understand at an organisational level, the role of geospatial in the business is, is fundamental. And so that's the story that I tend to tell when I'm speaking with my clients. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Michelle Watson for explaining how cities and businesses are using geospatial thinking and technology to facilitate sustainable planning and construction around the world. If you liked this episode, please take a moment to rate Esri and the Science of Wear podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the benefits of geospatial technology and location intelligence, visit go.esri.com forward slash location technology.